I paid attention in school. We may not have won in the game last night, but gosh dang it, we're going to win on Twitter. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. It is our pleasure now to introduce all of you, BYU Sports Nation, to one of the new guys on the BYU football staff. Kind of, because he's already been around. BYU linebackers coach Kevin Kloon with us. Coach, welcome to BYU Sports Nation officially. Well, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Can't wait to get started in spring ball. Now, I know that you've already been working with the BYU staff, but now it's in an official capacity for the entire public to know. So naturally, we want to know all of the most interesting things about you. So let's put you right on the spot. What do BYU fans not know about you that they should? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I've been around Utah. I worked at, uh, you know, I was a GA at University of Utah. I was at Southern Utah. I was at Weber State. I was at Utah State. And I don't know if, is there another person that's worked at all five schools? You know, that, that's, I'm not sure. Maybe Steve Clark. Yeah. yeah I worked with Steve at Utah, but I think he's only got uh, three, uh, four maybe of, of the, of the five. Yeah. Five. And now good. Get involved, so I got to get, I got to maybe retire down there or something. <laughs> it's a nice place, right? Um, tell us yeah. about what you did this last season, because we talked about it a little bit in December. And then in January, January 5th, I said, hire Kevin clone. It's a natural choice. So I'm glad they hired you, but walk us through kind of your involvement with BYU last year. Well, um, you know, it really kind of came on in the, in the end when, you know, they, they inked uh, the Navy and the army games. And I really, really wanted to be involved to help, you know, whatever, in any capacity that I could. I was at Memphis and we played um, Navy the previous two years and, uh, and I thought played them pretty tough. Um, so I wanted to help, you know, whatever I could. Like I have all this film, I have all these, you know, this, this defense and that should be good. And, and um, it kind of just grew from there. I, I just wanted to come down and help out any way I could. And, and I've known, you know, Kalani for 20 years and Aaron Roderick for 20 years and, and just uh, it was just kind of a natural fit. So should we officially give you those uh, three wins then on your resume yeah. against the American Athletic yeah. Conference specifically? Yeah, it's all me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, couldn't, yeah, couldn't say enough about the kids, especially the, starting with the Navy game, how they came out and just played hard. I mean, obviously everyone knows that that's a tough, tough um, team, and the kids came up and just controlled the line of scrimmage and did everything that, that was asked of them. So, you know, I couldn't be more proud of being a part of that. Kevin Kloon with us on BYU Sports Nation, new BYU linebackers coach. Let's rewind to your first interaction with anybody on the current BYU football staff. Where did those relationships initially begin? Um, you know, I met um, Aaron probably, I want to say 2001, you know, briefly. And then um, Kalani, Aaron, and I all worked together down in Southern Utah. And you know, it's a great place to start because there's not a whole lot of, you know, people watching everything. So you can make mistakes kind of down there and, and all that. And, um, you know, we had a, we had a good kid, a good team. And we, I felt we kind of built that team. We were only there for about two years and, you know, we had a, we had a good squad of Utah kids that, you know, a lot of snow college players, a lot of local kids. And, um, you know, it, it kind of all blossomed from there. 
You've got a history of playing against BYU uh, when you were at Utah State, obviously 09-13, highlighted by that 2012 team, which was incredible. And, of course, BYU and Utah played this 6-3 of a dud game, but uh, it was an interesting one in 2012, a great year for the Aggies. And then, obviously, you end up at Oregon State taking over as the D.C. for Kalani Satake. Once he left, not to mention your Southern Utah ties. So it feels like you've been hanging out and or with and or following Kalani a little bit over the years. Yeah, the, uh, it's it's you know, we've become just good friends and and uh, you know it, it, we just talk ball. You know, he's, he's we all come from that 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 um, you know that Kyle Whittingham style of defense, and so when we can talk ball, it's like we're not talking the same language a lot of times. Um, and there's been you know I've we've both evolved into a lot of different ways, and and uh, but it's just good to be back with good people, good coaches, and, and good kids. Kevin Clune, new linebackers coach for BYU football, with us on BYU Sports Nation. If you were to pull players from any team that you've coached with, how would they explain your personality as a coach? Oh, man, that's – I don't know. That's hard to explain. But, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an initial level of gruffness that maybe um, – <laughs> that maybe you uh, – you know, that you get right away and it's like, oh, wow, you know, it's maybe seems as a little standoffish, but after you kind of get to the hard work of things, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think I'm an easy guy to work to, to play for. So. Tell us about your linebacking group, obviously a group that has some talent and talent returning. We're a couple weeks away from spring ball. So what do you feel like you have there and what do you feel like you need to develop even further? Well, it, it was, you know, really good. I got to, meet these guys um, and was just, you know, really impressed with how they just come out to work every day. And they're, they're very even keeled kids. Um, you know, it's, it's, they got talent, they got size, they got speed. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, pleased to be, be involved with this group. Um, you know, starting off with Peyton Wilgar, um, excuse me, very, uh, very versatile player. He can play the outside positions and the inside positions. Maybe even we put him up at like a DN position. Um, he can do it all, and and he's always the guy that we're thinking when we put in a new defense. Well, Peyton would be perfect for this. Well, you know, but we got to move around the other pieces of the board. Um, and so he's got a tremendous future. Still, still young players. I mean, I don't know if I have a guy on the uh, linebacker on the roster that's older than a junior. I'm not sure. Um, then you got Keenan, uh, you know, Keenan Peely, who you know is local, local kid. Uh, came from the safety position in high school, but has really developed into a linebacker and a hitter and, you know, a guy that you don't want to take on, you know, head up. And, uh, you know, he's a quiet leader and, and again, a solid, tremendous player. And then you've got, you know, guys like Max Tooley, you're quick and uh, again, very versatile and, and we're expecting a lot of things from him. And then you got Drew Jensen and Jackson Kafusi coming back. And then, you know, I'm, I'm very just pleased with this group. There's, there's a lot of hard work there. There's a lot of production there. And I think that they can even go to the next level. When you compare what BYU football did in 2020, 11-1, incredible run. Of course, we mentioned the three wins against American athletic teams. And you compare it to what the schedule brings up in 2021 with seven power fives. What goes through your mind? Well, the, the, just one at a time, the, 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 the power fives, you know, they're great and all, but they're all, they're all winnable games. You just got to take it all one, one game at a time. Um, you know, we've got some, some experience with the Pac-12 teams. Um, you know, got some experience with, with uh, South Florida that we play later on. I, I'm drawing a blank. And then, the you know, obviously the Mountain West teams. Um, but each one, one at a time. It's a very, very good schedule, very, you know, uh, lofty schedule. But, uh, 
you take them all one at a time, and I think that, that um, you know, they can be handled. Certainly we're hoping that uh, things return to normal for life and football and whatnot, but it'd be fun to have fans at uh, Allegiant Stadium in Vegas for that opener, wouldn't it? Yeah, and that, that'll be great. Um, it was very strange. You know, I coached junior college back in California like 25 years ago, and you could literally, like, count how many people were in the stands at some, <laughs> some game. <laughs> and so it brought me back to, it brought me back to that. Uh, but it didn't matter. The kids brought energy. You know, Kalani was, was bringing energy on the sideline. Um, and it's a shame that, that these guys didn't get to showcase what they do, you know, in front of 60,000 people or whatever, but in the end they just came out to play. And so, you know, that was good, but it was definitely the first game at Navy, you know, it was like, it was like a, it, started, it just felt weird when you took the field and it was just kind of scrimmage. Like it was, it was very strange, but, uh, you know, the kids performed, they did a great job. I'm thinking specifically about Billy Nixon, who started a dance dance revolution along with uh, Jason Gafusi, uh, as well as Kalani Satake. Um, what what are, uh, Jason Ayo, I should say, so let me correct myself. How are your dancing skills when you look oh, at those horrible. guys? Yeah, horrible. I, I, I was called into some you know, part of that, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to. Let's just you know, keep my dignity over on the side. But uh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, maybe I got to, maybe, maybe for some giant game, maybe I'll jump in, but yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) Who are some of your primary influences, uh, you know, growing up as a young coach and now as a more experienced coach, who, who do you draw upon for uh, influences upon the way you coach the game? There's a lot and a lot of guys no one's ever heard of, you know, um, you know, I coached at a high school, Dos Pueblos in Goleta, California, and uh, two coaches there, coach Hasselmeyer and, and, um, Coach Scott O'Leary were tremendous. Uh, my old high school coach, Norm Costa, great guy. Junior college coach that I played for and worked for was Gene Murphy. Um, he was at Cal State Fullerton for 100 years. I mean, these are all people that you've probably never heard of, but it, it does. I, mean, I can go all the way back to my Little League coach was Jim Bernadashi, uh, who was a tremendous man. And you, know, you learn a lot of things about football and you learn a lot of things about um, you know how to hit somebody or tackle or block or whatever it is. But just their example of hardworking men that find a way to give back to society by coaching football. And, you know, I, I've coached for free. Uh, I just love football and I love working with kids. My, my dream back in the day was I was going to have a regular job. I studied computer science. I was going to have a regular job and then go help the local high school wherever I lived. Cause that's just the way to give back because that's, you know, I go all the way back, man, I'm thinking about a lot of nature. Frank Link was a little league baseball coach that I had at 30. 40 years ago. Um, and they're all tremendous men that found a way to give back to young people. And, um, and, uh, but to go, <laughs> to get back to your original question, I mean, those are the guys that I think of, of why I coach and why I work with young people. And it's, it's just, you know, a, a good deal. Now, when you talk about football, um, you know, learned a lot from Kyle Whittingham when I was a GA up at Utah, um, you know, just, I worked with coach Norm Chow and learned a lot about, you know, football from him. It was, it's just every single person you take something from, but I can't go, I can't say enough about those, those guys nobody's ever heard of that just find a way to give back to young people. Coach, what are you hoping to learn from your team by the end of spring football in 2021? Uh, Well, you know, it's not, I'm not going to have any hand in this, but the, the, the quarterback challenge that we're going to have is going to be, uh, exciting to watch. I think you've got three players or so, maybe there's more, but yeah, there's three guys that I know of that, you know, are going to be exciting to watch. 
Um, but personally on the defense, it's just coming together. We do lose, you know, some leadership on this team. You know, we lose our quarterback. You know, we lose, uh, you know, Karis Tonga, who's just tough. We lose, um, you know, Isaiah Kafusi, who always kind of knew the right thing to say. And, um, and Warner, and, all, and it, we lose some guys. But, you know, who's going to step up and, and kind of be the new leader? Um, how's this team going to come together? You know, all those things is just, just the natural evolution of every single team every year. Um, you know, personally for the linebackers, just how each individual player is going to take the next step and what are they going to do in this month of March to improve their game and, and how they play, you know, whether it's tackling or defeating a block or, or whatever. So there's a lot of, of scenarios there, but I think the one that the, everyone's going to concentrate on is how the quarterback battle's taking place. And, and I'll leave that to coach Roderick and he can deal with all that. In your tour of Utah, we feel confident that Provo will be the top destination for you, Coach. Just just yeah. putting that out there. Yeah, no, tremendous kids. Um, like I said, very fulfilling. I, I was just coming down and helping out, uh, you know, last season, and I felt driving home every day that you know I was stealing. I want to get paid anything, but I felt <laughs> I just felt so fulfilled um, working with these guys. And so, you know, I can't I can't say enough about that. Coach, it's great to get to know more about you. We look forward to discussing BYU football with uh, your brilliant football mind. Thanks for the time. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Kevin Kloon on the Deseret First Credit Union Highline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Consider me impressed. I know. Uh, he knows what's up. Uh, that was that was fun. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun with him over the next couple of years. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is the brand new BYU football offensive line coach, Daryl Funk. Daryl, welcome to BYU Football and BYU Sports Nation. Awesome. It's great to be here. I'm fired up to to be on this morning. You guys doing okay? We're feeling great. Feeling fantastic. Right. And it's, hey, we can never talk enough football, even if it's in February, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Why Year w- round 24-7. Absolutely. Why was the BYU position the desired job for you at this point in your life? Well, this university, this football program has been uh, a, a benchmark of excellence for years and years, as long as I've been aware of football, which is a long time since I I grew up, I had a football in my crib at one point, so it's been a long time. So I just, to have a chance to join a program like this, not only just the program and, and, and everything they've accomplished, but specifically offensive line. This, this place has produced a ton of great offensive linemen and, as importantly, great offensive lines in unison, which is really what I try to hit. I mean, it's, it's great to have great players, but when they've played so well together over the years and just dominated football games uh, year in, year out, decade after decade. I mean, that to me, it, it doesn't get any better than this. Coach, you, you've had uh, a, a long career in this business, but most recently you were at UTSA back in 2019. You weren't on a staff in 2020. Give everybody an idea of what you've been up to over the last year, obviously with COVID and everything else you know, uh, that everybody's been dealing with. What, what's the last year been like for you? Yeah, I was at UTSA for a few years, and uh, after the 19 season, uh, uh, the staff uh, left, and and I was in the process of right before COVID hit. I was I had some interviews lined up, I had some things going on, and it was looking like uh, there would be some things, and all of a sudden, 
that thing hit. And as you know, all of a sudden you weren't flying, you weren't interviewing, you weren't doing that. And then they started hiring freezes and everything. And then it just kind of went like that. I had a few opportunities that, uh, that I, I, I thought maybe I should just wait and see. But what ended up happening, and I've always been a person looks for that silver lining in every cloud. Uh, did I want to sit for a year? No. Did I need to? Someone asked me, well, maybe you recharge your batteries in that year. I didn't need my batteries recharged. It wasn't a situation like that. But what's cool about it is uh, after I kind of finally figured out, okay, I don't even know if there's going to be a college season. I just went right to work in terms of, in fact, I bought a terrific computer system for digital video. And as much of a football junkie as I think I am, I became even more. And I was watching, I watched more football and just studied the game and schemes and watched offenses and watched defenses and worked hard to become a better coach so that when, whether it ended up happening last spring or maybe even this summer or fall, there were a couple opportunities or this cycle that I'd be ready. But it actually turned into, uh, it, it turned into a, a positive. Got a chance. I mean, my wife, Teresa is a, is awesome. We've been together over 30 years and it gave me a chance. She probably would say, wow, that you were around a lot, you know, this last year and all that. And I'm sure she did, but it gave us a chance to, to get reconnected a bit. My kids are great. They're all over the country. Two of them are still in school. One's coaching at, at Indiana state. And so uh, the only regret I have of that, cause I, I really benefited a lot as a coach th- this fall, but I wish I would have been able maybe to, to go to, a, you know, travel, visit a couple staffs, which, you know, some people do when they're taking a, a year out of it. And, and that didn't happen, but uh, I enjoyed it. And, and it's prepped me for, uh, for this opportunity. Now, I'm raring to go. I can tell you that. New BYU offensive line coach Daryl Funk with us on BYU Sports Nation. You talk about those family relationships. Those are obviously critical and drive all of us. There are also relationships uh, within the football world, which feels like a family. So where did the ties begin for you and your football family at BYU with Kalani Satake or any other member of the current BYU football staff? Yeah, well, really the, the first connections that we made were from across the sidelines because while they were – both at uh, Kalani and, and Aaron were both at Utah. I had spent time competing against them when I was at Colorado State and then again at San Diego State. So the first part of it was just knowing each other, you know, competing against each other, the respect you gain when you, when you battle. We had some good battles uh, between the two schools. And so that was kind of the start of it because uh, I think we knew of each other and different things weren't, weren't close or anything, but that's where it started. And then what happened as this job uh, opened up, you know, the football business is, is just like a lot of things. It's a huge network of, it's a brotherhood, but it's a huge network of, you know, it's former coaches, assistants. You worked with this guy, you worked with him. And what ended up happening is my, my close uh, net, my, my real closest network that I have to me really aligned well with Kalani's and Aaron's and people that, that we had both worked, not only worked with, but trusted kind of went two ways that kind of opened the door for it. And then uh, the conversations on the phone became longer and longer and getting more detailed. And there were a lot of things that I thought were really aligned. Uh, not only the, the desire to come to a program like this, but also you know, what, what, they, what they've been doing up front, uh, you know, things that I've done in the past. Uh, and, and I think it just, uh, I felt really connected with A-Rod from, from the jump. And then as, as Coach Sataki and I, you know, got together, it just became a really good match. So I'm, I'm excited, but it's funny because sometimes you, you get jobs because you played for someone or you coached with someone or all that. 
uh, this was a little bit different, but it, uh, it really has worked out well for me, and I, I can't wait to, to get going. I've, I've not even been in the building 48 hours. In fact, it'll be 48 hours in, <laughs> in two hours, so uh, I'm, I've got a lot to, to get caught up on, but I'm sure excited to be here and get ready for spring ball. Well, I'm sure you've put that digital video system that you bought to, to good use, and even though it's been a short time, I'm sure you've had a chance to look at the BYU offensive line, certainly uh, losing some of the players to the NFL that were on the, uh, the team last year. What do you feel you have at that position right now, even though it's early right now? Yeah, well, I had watched a lot of tape, and ironically, even before this whole situation opened up, I had watched a lot of BYU games, starting with the opener and, and just watching what they had done and the, and the style of play really fit with a lot of places that I've been. And so I had watched a ton. And then when I got involved in it, obviously I went back to it and watched. And, uh, you know, I know we're losing some really good players. I, I, I get that. But when I look at it, I, I keep and I keep asking. Uh, well, now I'm a little bit better. But for a couple of days, I was like, oh, wait, who's this? I, I don't recognize that number. Who's this name? And I'm still catching up. I've, I've met with the O-line and I met with about half of them individually. So I'm still working on that. But I, I really feel good about the, the guys coming back. We've got a I think a great combination of, of guys that have played a lot of football. James Epi comes to mind with all his starts and, and, and Big Blake Freeland and, and some other guys that have played a lot of football. And, and yet there's some younger guys that are exciting. There's some newcomers that are coming in. And, and one thing, and I talked to the linemen at length about this, you know, we, we have some guys that maybe at one point were, were tight ends or, or, or defensive linemen. Throughout my time coaching, I've had a ton of guys that have really become great offensive linemen that maybe grudgingly moved from, from tight end there. You know, maybe they had to pull them a little bit to get them away from throwing past Skelly and all that. But once they bought in and they realized, wow, my athleticism in this room and now I just got to get bigger and learn it. But you've got that sprinkled in. So I really like the kids. They're hardworking. One thing that jumped out at me, and it's always one of the first things I look for, uh, not only when I'm looking at offenses, but also defenses, how hard they play. These kids in this program play hard. They play hard. They play fast. Um, they have a, a, a great system. And, and uh, I'm just looking forward to, to not only, um, you know, continuing, you know, working to continue where they left off and build on it. But also, I mean, there'll be, I've done this over 30 years. There'll be a few little wrinkles here or there or something that will, We'll, you know, we'll work on. But for the most part, I mean, this is just I'm just excited to, to take this group where they left off and just run from there and, and, and have a great spring and just see, see how it all shakes out. But I'm, I'm fired up about the room. What's your offensive line coaching philosophy or motto if you have one? Well, there's a lot of ways that people look at that. And if you ask 10 offensive line coaches, you might get 10 different answers. But to me, even though I try to stay on the cutting edge of all the new things in offense, the, the game comes down to toughness. You know, it's blocking and tackling, but that, that stems from toughness. So for me, it's always going to start with toughness. And that's a general word. What does that actually mean? There's a lot of ways to measure it, but we're going to recruit toughness here. They have recruited toughness here. And, and, and we're going to, so that to me is always the first thing that I, that I look for. In fact, in my meeting with those guys the other day, I, I realized we had, you know, different things we were covering and I use the word toughness quite a bit and they know it. And that's all physical mental toughness. Uh, obviously you have to have the, 
the, uh, the the skill sets, the size, you know, different things. But I've had a lot of great players that have gone on to the NFL, and and one of my best players was six one two eighty seven, and he won the Remington Award. One, so you know that you don't have to be. Even though we got some monsters in there, we got these guys that are six eight three twenty six eight three. We've got some of those, but you have to have that ability, uh, you know, and the skills, the, the the size to be able to do that. So you're looking for that. But but to me, the other part of it, the the, the effort. I think you judge a coach in any position by how hard their kids play. And, and I take pride in, in preaching that and, and making sure that they can go full speed. I talked to the kids the other day. You know, they got to know exactly what they're doing, which is my job, to go full speed. So it all fits in together. But effort is huge. And then the other part, we will always stress the fundamentals of the game. Yeah, there's some different techniques you can use. There's a couple of things. Okay, this might be a good change-up block or a change-up pass set or something. But we're going to be fundamentally sound. You know, we're going to we're going to play the game the right way. You know, we're we're going to run the football. We're going to protect. We're going to put it all together. And uh, and 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 I I think the, this group has obviously the 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 base fundamentals down like I said there'll be a couple little things we'll work on I told them they may have to I may make a call one time and they look at me like I got three heads or whatever like I'm sorry I've been using that call for 28 years but I'm going to use yours so I'll have to transition a little bit but I think it's going to be seamless just judging from my meetings with them so far uh, you know, everyone, they seem excited. They seem ready to go. And uh, I just can't wait to get them out on the field and start working on our trade. So you, you've referenced San Diego State. You referenced Colorado State. You're a Fort Collins native. You played at Colorado State. So I, I'm going to assume that maybe your impression or how you viewed BYU was maybe slightly different back in the day <laughs> than maybe it is now that you're wearing the Y. I'm, I'm curious what that dynamic has been like. Uh, going from probably not liking BYU too much as a player to now being part of BYU. Yeah, and that's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot because you're right. I mean, when, you, when you're an opponent playing against BYU every year, I mean, you, if, you, if you say you don't like them, it's only because they're the best. If you say you don't like them, it's because, you know, you know, you're trying to gear yourself up. We always had great respect for BYU, no matter where I was playing and you knew it was going to be not only great players but well coached and they're going to play hard and and so so there was that but that was certainly every place I've been we played them that was one of the games on the schedule you look and you're like okay we got to be ready for that one but what's interesting as you mentioned it and and my history playing against BYU has been you know up and down obviously a lot of BYU's won a lot of games so a lot of opponents haven't fared well but uh but I remember coming to this stadium uh, Steve Young's last year was my first year, and I'd only played special teams. But being there and, and watching him run around and moving, not knowing, you know, what he would do in, in the future, and I'm in awe of that. But and uh, the second year was my actually first start. The national championship year was my first start back at Hughes Stadium in Fort Collins against that team. And uh, I don't remember all the names up front on that defense. All I know is they were some big guys, and I was a, <laughs> a young tight. I was a heavy tight. And I got moved from O line and training camp because we had an injury. But anyway, and that, and then playing against, uh, and then we won here in '86. I had a little comeback and won uh, won the game here in '86. So as a player, you know, going one and three. Uh, as a player, isn't something to write home about. But if you think of it, well, you won at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's a pretty good accomplishment for Colorado State back in 86. And it was a big game. Now, when you fast forward, when I was, uh, you know, at San Diego State and, and we had, uh, 
you know, we had a, we had a couple, uh, uh, well, even before that, when I was coaching at Colorado State, again, that was a big game. We won here in 03, played really well. I don't remember the the other games. I just can't remember, but I know I know we won here, so I won twice here. And then San Diego State, uh, we we played pretty tough the first year when I was there, and then the second year had a battle here and lost. But just nothing but respect. But always a game you didn't have trouble getting up for as a player, or you didn't have trouble getting the kids up to play BYU. And I know that's still the case for people coming in into uh, our building. We wholeheartedly wish you many, many more victories yes. in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Well, I, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Coach, it's great to talk with you. Again, welcome to the BYU football program, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. You guys have a great day. Appreciate you having me on. You got it. Daryl Funk on the Deseret First right. Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Yeah, that's got to be, you know, you, you, you grow up and you're playing, you know, in these conferences and there's certain teams you like, certain teams you don't like. You know, it's just, it's funny how life turns out sometimes, right? He was very quick to remember the year <laughs> oh, that yes. he won his first game <laughs> at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Yeah, absolutely. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Now to the Gideon George story, which is nearing 50,000 views on Twitter. It's gotten an unbelievable response, and if you haven't seen it, you shortly will, and you'll know why it's receiving the accolades that it has. He gives back to kids in Nigeria because he has been given much. This is our deep blue feature presented by America First Credit Union. We're here to help. Gideon comes from a place with no power, no running water. He's got those big shoulders because he carried 10-gallon buckets of water to the well every week. He slept outside most of the time because it was too hot in the house. He's probably had malaria more times than he can count. His breakthrough moment, he heard that there was this kind of basketball tryout. He had to get on a bus and try, and it's not like a bus like we know. First day of the camp happens, and, and you know, he definitely stands out as just a great kid. A second day, still really good, but kind of tired. It's 100 degrees out, and these kids are playing, you know, six hours on a broken concrete court with busted rims. Come to find out, some of the people that were on the ground that were supposed to be helping us from Oweri had charged the kids to play in the camp and hadn't told anybody. And so they took all of the money that Gideon and his friends and some other people that had come to this camp that they were supposed to use for staying somewhere and eating. His ability to get through something like that, to continue to show up and, and you know, give 100% and never complained, right? We found out about it because of somebody else, not him. None of the other kids said a word. They were just grateful for the opportunity to be there, even if that meant sleeping outside, being chased by the police, and not eating for days. He doesn't allow like this situation to find him. No matter what he finds himself, he just keeps walking. He's an individual um, that understands what he wants. He showed out at the camp and was the number one player in the camp. When we kind of figured out that, you know, okay, this is, there, there's potential here for, for this kid to go to college, um, you know, he'd been denied a visa five or six times already. And it does cost a lot of money to get these interviews. So I think it costs close to about four or $500. $500 is a lot of money in America compared to Nigeria. His father probably makes about $100 a month. So just imagine, so it's like a four or five month salary just to get an interview. 
anytime I want to quit, I don't know what's inside me that keep pushing me to like keep going because I believe that I think there's something out there better for me than in Nigeria. So that's why I keep applying. I just have the faith that one day I'm going to get a visa and I'm going to share my story out there to encourage people to see, to keep pushing and not never to give up. You know, a kid with no organized basketball experience for the most part that grew up playing on a dirt court with a plywood backboard and basketballs with no grips and a lot of times no shoes showed up at New Mexico Junior College and won freshman of the year and arguably the hardest league in all of junior college basketball. And I, I think people are seeing at BYU now that coming out in him. officially like to present this crown for king of the glass this morning to our good friend Gideon George. Let's go! Character, his personality, his work ethic, his skill, right? All these things that like he's got more ability in his little finger than most people have in their whole body and, and not even just basketball ability, but ability to overcome and adapt and things like that. So when I get to America, I went to one of my teammates' room back there in New Mexico at the dorms. He looked in the trash and saw a pair of shoes and was like, what, 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 what is happening? You're throwing those away? And he was like, yeah, they're a little worn out. And sometimes if you get sore, if I wear them, he's like, can I have them? I just thank God because of his grace and his mercy towards us and his love. And my parents are like hardworking. They always do their best to provide for us like all the time. So that's it, man. Growing up, it wasn't that easy. And so from that day, Gideon started collecting all the shoes to send back to his home country. And then as you dig in the story more, those were the shoes that he was wearing growing up. He was getting shoes from the same organization that were being shipped from the United States to Africa. And they enabled him to actually go on a court and, and play the way he learned how to play. Gideon was able to benefit from time off for Africa and the fact that he's made it to the United States, he feels like he has to give back. Shoes that I didn't wear or any, any of his teammates, women's basketball, track, cross country. I mean, they literally, he just started asking and asking. You know, we had a game to where you get in free if you bring your shoes. He's still figuring out which end is up when he's, you know, suddenly thrust into this college environment in, in America. And he's thinking of everybody else back home that doesn't have the same opportunity and so we think about you know a shoe drive is like oh that's great these kids have shoes but what we don't think about is that the highest transmission of disease in africa is through their feet because they don't have proper shoes and so it's more than i have shoes to wear to school i have shoes to wear to church i have shoes to wear on a basketball court it's actually protecting the health and livelihoods of those people over there and when he hit the ground in New Mexico, that was one of the first things that came to mind. Not, great, I'm in America, I have all these resources, look at all the things that are available to me now. He looked at it from the standpoint of, look at all the resources that are available for me to help somebody else. So the fact that, you know, he's benefited from us, now we're benefiting from him. Because the program is getting, you know, a lot more, you know, known in the area just because of these donations encourages the kids to play more and be successful. So that's definitely making an impact. That's someone that gets it, right? That's someone that gets that things are bigger than him. 
And whether he never makes another basket again doesn't matter, right? It's Gideon George is going to have an impact on this planet because of who he is, not because of who he is as a basketball player. And that's special. And, and that's something that, you know, has definitely changed me. And he changes everybody else that he interacts with. Gideon George, Deep Blue, incredible story. How do you not smile when you see his smile and feel his excitement and enthusiasm about life? He's just an incredible human being. Yeah, when I f- first saw the first rough draft and I saw him in you know, his Nigerian garb there, I was like, oh, geez, that's awesome. So what a, what a great guy. What a great story. So glad to have him here. I said last week, there's a place for everybody at BYU. There's a place for Africans at BYU. There's a place for... South America, every, Europe, everywhere, everywhere, every culture, he brings something unique to BYU that's special. And it's been fun to see him inserted into the starting lineup the last couple of games, and he's done a nice job. So, But it's not about basketball entirely. Mm. You know, what he's doing is pretty special, and we're just getting going with him. We have at least another year with him. Very well done, and more Gideon George insight to come. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. His name is Zach McWhorter. He is an outstanding pole vaulter on the nationally ranked BYU track and field team. Zach, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Congratulations on setting a new BYU indoor record with your jump of 18 feet, 10 and 3 quarter inches. How did it feel to pull that off? It felt pretty good. It's been a long time coming. And yeah, I I can't complain. Excited for more. What's that moment like when you see that you've you've broken the record? What what was that immediate feeling like? Oh man, I mean, time just slows down. You know that that fall, especially from from eighteen feet ten inches, it uh, it feels like it, it lasts a lifetime. And I yeah, the first time I did it, just. It felt incredible. I, I, <laughs> Zach, so. I have so many questions. Uh, and you brought up the fall from 18 feet, 10, three quarter inches. What's going through your mind uh, other than not freaking out that you're falling from such a height? Uh, yeah, uh, about freaking out. You know, I, I've had some unique experiences, you know, with getting impelled by the pole in the past. And then, of course, uh, I've landed on the pole a few times. So it, I'm always thinking about that in the back of my mind, you know, but how, how does something like that not enter your mind? Like how do you get past that from a mental standpoint? Honestly, I, I just think that I have an inactive amygdala. I just, the fear, <laughs> <laughs> I just think that the, the, the fear, it, it, it subsides after, uh, after it happens, you just move on. I'm going to use that in my life. I'm going to look it up and see what it is. What's your deal, man? <laughs> well, I just think I have an inactive amygdala. That is fantastic stuff, Zach. <laughs> Zach McCorder, outstanding pole vaulter from BYU Track and Field with us on BYU Sports Nation. So many questions we have, like how does one decide to even go into a unique sport like pole vaulting? What was the story for you? Right. So I, I would say I'm an outlier. Uh, my dad pole vaulted here at BYU. And I played all the, you know, the, the popular sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball, soccer. And uh, when I was uh, 13, he purchased some pole vault pits from the University of Arkansas at an auction. 
So when you have pole vault pits in your front yard, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's likely that you'll try pole vaulting. <laughs> and so I tried it. And I mean, when you have someone who, who can coach you and you have the resources, you know, many people in my situation could have, um, excelled, you know, so. I'm just imagining that conversation, uh, with your neighbor's friends. Hey mom, I'm just going to go over to the McCorders and pole vault. I'll be back in like an hour. <laughs> is, is, is that, did your friends try this? Oh yeah. Several friends tried it. It was yeah, a lot of fun. And we, we kind of lived out in the country. So right by the highway, people would drive by and honk their horn and, <laughs> and yeah. So now you mentioned your dad, uh, and, and correct us if I'm wrong. He, he has the 10th best all time mark at BYU. So, so what's that like? I mean, you know, if he wants you, if he asks you to, if you come home, you're like, Hey, I'm going to need you to take out the trash. He's like, well, I'm number one and you're number 10. I'm going to need you to do that. I mean, do you guys, <laughs> you guys have fun with that, that you, you have the higher mark than your dad. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is fun to, to mess with him, but I, I feel like if he had the opportunities that I had and he had a good coach and he had pulpits in his front yard, I feel like he probably could have jumped higher than me, you know? <laughs> so it, yeah, I had a, a, an unfair advantage. Okay. So I'm doing the math here. Did your Mark essentially knock him out of the top 10 then? Is he number 11 now? He actually, I think he still is. He still is in the top 10 because I was, I was uh number two before, which knocked him down to 10. Okay. 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 Very good. Zach yeah. McWhorter with us on BYU Sports Nation. We don't want to ruin family relationships on this show, man. <laughs> <laughs> so look, what are your ultimate aspirations and goals in this sport? What is it that you're wanting to achieve? You know, I don't want to set any limitations, but I'll just tell you right now, like with this season, I first and foremost want to get the Olympic A standard which is 5.80 meters. It's a, it's a little less than two inches higher than what I've jumped. And then I'd actually like to go one, at least one centimeter, centimeter higher uh, because the, the left-handed pole vault world record is, is 580. So I, I of course want to get that and then, and then get some more. I just want to be competitive this summer at the trials, which will, will which will take some more, you know, so Zach, six inches at least. Explain to me what, when you're working out, what is it that you're working on? Obviously, there, there's speed involved. There's upper body strength. There's leg strength. What is it? Uh, what is it that you that you're working out and trying to improve when you train? Yeah, so <clears throat> there certainly is a, a correlation with with speed on the runway and how high you can jump. And so <clears throat> this past off season in the fall, I trained with uh, Coach Stephanie Perkins to work on running form and. Um, and just trying to maintain speed at takeoff. But, but really, I mean, people call pole vaulting a, it's like a, a violent ballet. So there's, you know, you, you want to have some gym, gymnastics abilities, um, in that core, but just, yeah, it's all around, but a lot of running and speed, I would say. Zach, between violent ballet and inactive uh, amygdala, I, I, this has been an all-time interview for us, my friend. This is you're making your mark here. Hey, I have a friend that wants to know though. Can you skip leg day and be a good pole vaulter? <laughs> you can't. You can't. Jason, <laughs> what? I said a friend wanted to know. <laughs> okay, if you did not pole vault, because there are so many events in track and field, if if you did not do that, which event would you be most likely to compete in? 
I would say the the hurdles, the the, the short hurdle, the yeah, like the sixty hurdles, one ten hurdles. Is this something that you had done previously? Yeah, yeah, I I did the hurdles in high school, and it also I would say um, contributes to pole vaulting. It helps. Okay, so, so. Uh, if we need to talk to Ed Eyestone for you and get you in the heat, <laughs> just uh, let us know. We'll we'll throw our weight around a little bit. All right, yeah, I, I'll uh, let you know. <laughs> what, what is next for you immediately coming up for you and the, and the rest of the squad? So tomorrow morning we're leaving for Lubbock, Texas Tech, and down there I'm going to get to go head-to-head with one of my best friends who's the number one ranked guy um, in the nation, number three in the world. So it'll be a good little showdown. Oh, wow. Fantastic stuff. Zach, let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for your trip to Lubbock, Texas, and your next uh, event. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. It's been great to find out about the the unique skill of how you got into pole vaulting, and we wish you the best. Hey, thanks for having me. You guys have a good one. You got it. Zach McWhorter on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Have you you ever tried pole vaulting, or would you want? I have never tried, and I honestly have never even thought about it. I've been intrigued by the concept of it like but i i'm like how about you give me a pole vault and i jump over like a six foot pole well but i mean it, not 19 first, feet not a, first it's just normal you're running upright then you're kind of on your back then you're completely upside down and you kind of flee i i don't even know the mechanics of how that works no, you have to have like incredible hand-eye coordination one two insert the pole into the proper place yes. to be able to leverage your body oh, yeah. up. It is. I'm just constantly worried that the pole's going to break. I'm just worried for you that if you try it, you'll end up with an inactive amygdala. I can't. <laughs> hey, real what quick, this guys. Is. Can you spell amygdala? <laughs> Can we spell amygdala? Is it is it A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A? Amygdala. Let's see. Yeah! <laughs> I paid attention in school. Okay, here is the definition. A roughly almond-shaped mm-hmm. mass of gray matter inside each cerebral hemisphere involved with the experiencing of emotions. <laughs> Thus, it's inactive and it's, he's not focusing on that. <laughs> oh, I impaled myself? Uh, no worries. So, uh, let's give it another go tomorrow and then set a school record. That's that's unbelievable. Wow, that's that was cool. That's cool. Good for Zach. All right. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU continues to their credit to put out feelers in all directions and very publicly about finding a game that makes sense for the team instead of enduring another lengthy layoff in game. So here's Mark Pope on that very topic last night. You know, this is super unprecedented. And, and down now in the stretch run of this season, it's actually, um, you know, finding games and finding the right games and finding the games at the right time for your team is super important right now. And so um, we'll jump on that. And I'm not sure where we're going to end up. Hopefully we can find... Uh, a game that fits us really, really well. Getting good contacts, good power five, top 20 teams. You got any dirt on anybody out there that can force them to jump in this thing? We'll, we'll travel. All right, Mark Pope on record saying, we will travel for a game that makes sense. Jerem, what is best for BYU in scheduling going forward over the next nine days? 
Should they look to reschedule a WCC opponent or maybe go elsewhere? Uh, anybody. <laughs> Almost, right? Uh, no, there, it needs to be a good game, obviously. He's saying, like, we want a game that will help our resume. Right now, if BYU didn't play the rest of the year, that'd be just fine. 15-5. and five. There's not a lot of teams that have played 20 games like BYU, let alone one fifteen. So BYU's in a good spot. But unfortunately, uh, you look at the schedule. St. Mar- St. Mary's uh, postponed Thursday. San Diego, Saturday, postponed. BYU's not going to reschedule with a team that's already canceled with them. That's a quad four. San Francisco's another option that is on the table. They're supposed to have a return trip to Provo. Sometime, yeah. What, when's that? Uh, you know, I, so I, I don't know. Is there like a, are there teams that have availabilities in non-con that would want BYU to go to their place? Because BYU doesn't want to host a team that's not in the top 30. You, you want a quad one here. That'd be great. But when is this going to happen? It's Tuesday. Like, if you're going to happen, if it's going to happen Saturday, you would need to know by probably Wednesday. So it's today or tomorrow whether BYU is going to play this week, I would yeah. think. So because it is such short notice, it's most likely going to have to be regionally. So if it's not a, a game rescheduled in the West Coast Conference. Pac-12 is not going to play. And they're not going to come out of California yeah. primarily. Mountain West seems like the most obvious choice for BYU. Is there a the Mountain West team? already played the top three Mountain West teams. They haven't played Colorado State, though. And they're the fourth place team. And so a Game in Fort Collins, maybe, if BYU's willing to travel. I know that Colorado State's been dealing with some good? postponements of their own. Yes, they're a top 50 net team. That let's would be go. a let's quad one road opportunity for BYU. All right, let's do it. So there okay. is that. We, we figured it out. Okay. BYU's Colorado playing. State. BYU's playing at Colorado State this week. We don't know what day. Oh, wait, that's just what we want. Maybe a Big 12 team? Is there somebody in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, Baylor's on pause. They, they postponed three straight games. So... Are Baylor's opponents looking for a quality game against BYU? Texas Tech is out there. Baylor, I don't necessarily want because that'd be guns. No, out meaning Baylor's not—they're not playing. Oh, they're shut so down. Their so their opponents yeah. are looking for quality games. Yeah, cool. Let's do it. Big Twelve, Mountain West. It, it kind of feels like it would have to be that if it's not a rescheduled game in the West Coast Conference. Yeah, which would be fun, but. <laughs> how far are you willing to travel? There are a lot Pope? of fun ideas. Uh, reality is another <laughs> another thing. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's February 11th. The Super Bowl's over, but thankfully we have some BYU football numbers to discuss, courtesy of our friend Bill Connolly at ESPN, his SP Plus projections. We had him on the show last week. He rates BYU's offense number 24 overall in terms of returning, and the BYU defense, after losing a lot of production, the 90th ranked defense. So, Jerem, if the offense is number 24, the defense is 90, what will BYU's record be next season against that schedule with seven, count them, seven Power 5 opponents? And Boise State, um, (laughs) seven and six? I, that's kind of where I feel that it'll sit. I hope BYU's in the 8-9 range. That'd be great. 10 is just insane. Hopefully BYU's not in the 5-6 range, which is possible with that many uh, Power 5s, but hopefully BYU is a, a, a winning team, obviously. But 8 or 9 is different than 6 or 7. It, it, it's very different. Um, I, I'm interested to see this. If BYU's offense is truly 24th at the end of the year, and I don't know what metric we're going there, scoring, yards, scoring's the point, right, I guess. If it was scoring 24th and scoring 90th, is every game 38-34, you know, that matters? Oh, boy. 
uh, on average. Ah, that'd be bad. No, I, I'm thinking probably uh, you know seven and six based on that projection. It's interesting too to look at. Okay, twenty fourth. Twenty fourth is pretty high given you lose a top five pick in Zach Wilson, likely first team All American Brady Christensen, thousand yard receiver in Dex Milne. You do return a couple offensive linemen that you think are good, um, right? We, we think are good. A uh, thousand yard rusher in Tyler Algier, thousand yard kind of guy in Gunnar Romney. A uh, how many did, twelve touchdown guy in Isaac Rex at tight end. Lopini Katoa, uh, Lopini Katoa, and uh, Neil Pau and Dallin Holker and da, da, da. so twenty fourth feels uh, that feels good, you know. Uh, given the the replacement quarterback hasn't started a game, whoever it is, whoever it year is, and a half or whatever, you know, um, that that's a, a little concerning, but. 90th on defense feels like a little bit of a stretch. There's no way BYU's going to be 90th in no. defense. Like, if anything, BYU will be in the 40 to 60 range, hopefully top 40, because that's what BYU has kind of built itself on the last several years until last year was good defense and, and so, you know, good to solid offense. Last year was great offense and great defense. I can understand why there is some concern about the defense because – you look at what's leaving on that side of the ball, Kyrus Tonga. But offensively, that happened too. So why, Kapusi, yeah. why the big difference, right? Because of what returns. Like, is it not enough to have uh, you know who BYU returns on defense? Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox, both gone. I already mentioned Kyrus and Isaiah, the team's leading tackler. What does BYU bring back that would make that number a little bit higher? And I think that we forget about a guy like Chaz Ayu. Yeah, you forget about Chess, uh, but when he plays, you don't forget about no. him. No. <laughs> so that should bump up BYU's defense a few spots from 90 in the positive direction. Sweet, 82nd now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Peyton Wilgar is a force to be reckoned with. He's going to kind of emerge, we think, as the leader of the linebackers group. Keenan Peely. Max uh, Tooley. Riley Atau hopefully takes a jump you know, on the defensive line. So. Yeah, there's, listen, there's guys. 90th is a slap in the face. It really is. Oh, by the way, Tyler Batty who had a really nice start to the season, then got hurt and didn't yeah. really play. So, listen, BYU's got dudes. I've never been concerned about BYU's defense. It's a, whether BYU could offensively hold up against quality competition. Which is why the headline is, who will the quarterback be? Right, well, the quarterback, you know? It's BYU. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I would, I would uh, go so far as to say whoever the BYU quarterback is is one of the most uh, ten popular uh, people representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints <laughs> in some form. You know what I mean? Like, that, that you're an important person if you're the quarter, starting quarterback at BYU. There's a lot of weight that comes with yeah. that. Even if you're not a member of the church, yeah. you still carry that banner of BYU right. football. Ask Steve Sarkeesian and Kevin Federick yep. and Jim McMahon. John and Walsh. All these guys, right? Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. 24, I'm like, okay, feels a little high, actually. I, I would go, like... In the 30s or low 40s, probably, given the, that. And then 90s is like, eh, probably in the 40s. But then overall, 60s. BYU is ranked 52nd by that, the SP+. Plus. That feels fair. It's not a number I like, but it feels fair. Does that make sense? If BYU is 52nd, then they are pacing for a regular season of seven wins and five losses. Yeah. Now, if the Cougars can jump up into the low 40s, maybe eight wins. And I feel like... There is enough coming back on offense specifically that BYU has every capability of winning eight games against that schedule. I, I think so, too. With the balance, where the games are played, it's more when about, they're played. And, and to me, it's, it's less of those things, Spencer. It's more who. It's more who. Like, Wazoo. That's a winnable game. Also losable. There are a lot of pick em power fives on this. Arizona. 
That should be a win right now based on what Arizona is and that they're going to have a coaching turnover again. Yes, Virginia, Southern. Okay, here's the, by the way, in SP+, here are the teams BYU is ranked ahead of. So it, let, let's just assume BYU went chalk on ahead and behind. Okay. And just wins losses. Okay. Virginia, Georgia Southern, Arizona, South Florida, Utah State, and the FCS is Idaho State, I think. Yep. So it's, there's six wins. Okay. So it'd be six and six. The other six, USC is ranked 17th in SP+. Eh, USC is starting to be UCLA-ish, overrated. Sorry, Vic Soto. Arizona State, Utah. All three of those, 17, 18, 19, by the way. Okay. Utah's 19th. Get out of here. Boise State, 39. Wazoo, 46. Baylor, 51. Like, you're right. I, I look at that just on paper, and you say, hey, there are eight or nine wins there. Uh-huh. But... <laughs> I mean, it could be a five-win season. Like, I'm not saying it will be. I'm just saying the possibility exists given how many Power Fives there are. But this year is uniquely suited where it's a little different. There's not a team I think BYU can't beat there. Like, typically we go into a year and I go, ah, at Wisconsin 2018, that's a loss. It's like, well, actually BYU upset Wisconsin. Mm. That was great. But then we didn't go, you know what BYU's going to do in 2019? BYU's going to lose in South Florida. Like, there are games BYU will lose that we don't see and there will be Games BYU wins that we don't see. That's the fun part of it. But can BYU come out on the eight-win side? Because if you only win seven games, you weren't that good. You, yes, you went to a bowl game, you had a winning record. Meh. Is that that hard? Like, 80 teams go to a bowl game. It's not hard to go to a bowl game. If BYU wins eight, you're a good team. Quantifiably, to me, if you win two-thirds of your games, you're a good team. You have to look at strength of schedule when you're determining the strength of a seven- or eight-win team. And most people aren't going to take the time only to Only we that. do that because BYU's loaded up. So, be, again, the analogy. BYU's walking into the weight room, and they're stacking more weight on and doing fewer reps. And we have to say, well, is that equal to when they had less weight but more reps before in the Mountain West? How does that rank? Like, it's hard for us to assess this eight-win season was equal to that ten-win season in the Mountain West. I don't know that that exists. I love to give a range of... Hard. Potential wins, uh, ceiling, and then what I think could potentially be the basement. I've got it right now. Okay, you've five got to yours. nine. Five, five okay. and nine. See, yeah. and I'm yeah. a little bit smaller than that in the window category. I don't think there is any way that BYU has a losing football season. There's too much there. We didn't think so in 2017 well, either, no, but, but it happened. There are proven, we know more about what's coming back than we did from 2016 losing Jamal Williams and we, Taysom Hill. We felt good about that squad. We did. Oh, Vegas man. said 10 wins. You remember that? Oh, I remember <laughs> Vegas said 10 wins. I was, even we were like, no, 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 no. 10 is not going to happen. And frankly, the schedule wasn't... You know, it was kind of middle of the pack in terms of difficulty of what BYU had faced in Independence. Well, eh, two, three, four were hard. I know, but yeah. the rest, and BYU lost to Fresno State. It was like LSU, Utah, and Wisconsin. BYU or something. lost to UMass crazy. and Fresno State right. and East Carolina. You don't have those games to potentially even oh. win this year. Okay, but I feel like there's enough. Six, six wins, I feel like, is the basement for BYU. They will go to a bowl game. This team has too much. I would hope so. Coming back to go to a bowl game, yeah. Okay, to, and then nine wins is probably the top. So I'm, I'm yeah, with you ten. There. Ten is no. It's too much. And I'm win, sorry. If BYU wins ten games, that's incredible. I would love that. Win Great. number one happens in how many days? Countdown to the Wildcats. Two hundred three. I was hoping you were going to say two hundred ten, meaning. Uh, is Utah a game two? Oh, Utah. 
<laughs> like, who cares about week one? Let's get after Utah. No, uh, in Allegiant Stadium. I just watched Al Davis versus the NFL. Ben, by the way, fantastic. Uh, really interesting. The, the whole facial, uh, you know, tech or whatever. Eh, a little weird. We can talk about that later. But playing in that stadium is going to be cool. It's going to be really cool. 203 days away from BYU and Arizona. Please, please have fans. Allegiant Stadium. Please, let's get all vaccinated and get no mask and get out there. That'd be the great. Death Star in Las yes, Vegas. Yes, the Death Star, which, yeah, which ended up blown up. We're 30 days out from Selection Sunday for March Madness. 30, okay. It's coming down to the wire. What's the best case and worst case scenario for the Cougars' seed line? BYU's probably not going to have another opportunity to play Gonzaga because I don't think Gonzaga is going to play in the yeah, West Coast Conference Tournament. Yeah, it's over. Okay? Uh, they, they don't need to. Uh, I mean, everything that their head coach has said. So that, to me, is like the last potential statement game for BYU to jump up a couple of seed lines if they were able to pull off an upset. So if BYU plays their remaining three regular season games, a couple of quad twos on the road, a quad three at home, and some other teams lose and they get some help from their resume and Boise State and Utah State and San Diego State continue to win. St. John's. Yeah. St. John's all of a sudden like was flirting with a quad one win because they're a top 50 team and they're inching up towards that. Then maybe BYU is a seven seed. I feel like that is the best case based on what we know or what we think we know BYU has left on the schedule. If BYU has a St. Mary's reschedule, I'm over San Francisco right now. They're 92 in the net, and so at Provo, it would be a quad three game. So it's yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. Like, now BYU took care of business on the hilltop. They don't need to play San Francisco let's now. Let's not get it on the schedule. So St. Mary's, BYU wins that game, and they win four games going into the West Coast Conference Tournament, maybe beat St. Mary's again for the Conference Tournament title. I still think a seven seed is about as good as BYU could possibly hope for if BYU loses a game or loses early in the WCC tournament then probably like a 10 or an 11 yeah I feel the same way but here's the thing if BYU let's say BYU is a seven seed that means they'd be an eight typically BYU drops uh one line to uh, almost always because of the Sunday play thing so if we think BYU is a seven then it's probably an eight I'm guessing like if I had to pick what seed BYU is going to be on selection Sunday I would go eight maybe nine if I would rather be 10, though, than 8 or 9. We've talked about this. I'd rather be 10, 11, 12 than I would 8, 9. So uh, BYU's holding steady the last couple weeks at, at 8 or 9 seed. So we're like best, best is like, yeah, BYU wins out, wins the WCC tourney. I'm with you. I, if I'm Gonzaga, I do not go to Vegas. I do not go to Vegas because why would I expose myself to a bunch of other teams that I'm going to beat anyway? I just get ready for Indy because Gonzaga's goal isn't to win the WCC tournament. It's to win the national championship. Yes, that's been a thing that they've done uh, often, uh, but no, I wouldn't go. I think BYU should go and should try and win that tournament because that's the thing BYU hasn't done since 01 when UNLV wasn't eligible in that <laughs> tournament. Similar situation, right? BYU, frankly, historically has been terrible in the conference tournament. Um, so it'd kind of be fun, albeit with Gonzaga out, to play in it and win it. Because BYU would still get that trophy. There'd be an asterisk in the history books, yeah. but BYU comes home with the trophy. And it's a confidence builder, and maybe it helps you go up a seed line. <laughs> Gonzaga maybe. leases the trophy for a year. They're like, here, we <laughs> want it back. But. Uh, so was it Andy Katz that told us that technically the league can define what they do with in terms of the the winning of the – like? Could the league say, hey, Gonzaga, you're the auto bid? 
with the regular season championship, like, they could. Hey, the, I've I've never even really understood like the allure of the tourney. It's a money making thing for the league uh, for a league. Because why would you play 16 games and say, nope, this doesn't determine the winner. These rando three games in a row do. <laughs> well, it's to give everybody a chance to have this Cinderella run in the tournament. It's the NC State theory their, in 1983 when they were seventh in the ACC. They had no business, yeah. and they went all the way to the national championship. In the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's the NCAA tournament for the losers. For the teams that don't make the NCAA tournament. Mm. That's what a conference tournament is. And I'm, when you have multiple bids, yeah, well, and it gets you a chance to get another team in. So I, I get the reasons for it, but I'm just like, so you play 16 games so that you can play three? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, and that was a concern that some people had was, Mighty dollar. hey, uh, well, what if St. Mary's wins it? Then the WCC has to send them. No, the, the conference regulations, especially in COVID now, with all the exceptions, are such that the league can say, Gonzaga's our auto bid. Well, they'd be stupid to do okay. so. It'd be $1.7 million you're saying no to. And then we'll see what happens and, in Las Vegas. And a quick note on that. People, people have, have come up to me and asked me, like, hey, the league's not a three-bid league. I go, the tourney doesn't look at it by bids per league. They just look at the individual teams. They don't look at, yes, that's a factor, but it's not like, oh, we can't put BYU in now because St. Mary's won the tourney without Gonzaga. That's not how it functions based on what Tom Holmes has told to us being in that room. It's very, very interesting. BYU is still holding strong, by the way, at 27 in net. All of their metrics are right around uh, the 30 mark on average, which is just really good. And pacing for a nine seed, according to most uh, bracketers. ESPN, Andy Katz, The Athletic. So we'll see. Take care of business. Maybe win four or five games. Jump up to a seven seed line. I feel like that's best case. We debuted the Gideon George Deep Blue, which we'll show you in the next segment if you haven't seen it. If you have, you're going to watch, want to watch it again. It's our most viewed Deep Blue in two seasons uh, doing this. 50,000 views on Twitter alone right now. He has an amazing story coming from Nigeria to Provo, giving shoes back to kids uh, mm-hmm. back home. Mm-hmm. But what's your favorite BYU sports human interest story ever? Oh, man. Um, or some of them. One of them is the ex-BYU football player, Nick Longshore. Yes. Um, who... Gave the gift of life to a Utah fan. So well, former men's basketball former player. Former men's basketball player. Yeah, the, Ken Gardner. The story there, yes. Like, that That story was super emotional. And yeah. I just thought... Kathy Aiken did that one. How cool ago. is that? That a diehard Ute and former basketball player gets the heart of a former BYU football player and is given the gift of life once again. Ken yeah. Gardner... And uh, Nick Longshore. I mean, just seeing Ken hug Nick's wife in those pictures. I think her name is Caroline. Uh, just really emotional, cool human interest story there. Like his heart and his body. We we named that one two hearts or two teams, one heart. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Insane. Yeah. So I mean, there are several, but that one was top of mind when I was answering that question. This yeah, um, Ziggy Ansah is a Disney movie waiting to happen. Like, what's the what, million dollar arm? The, the cricket players that came over and played in the minors, I was like, they didn't even get to the majors! We've casted like, it for crying out loud. You literally still have that list some, that we compiled. I do. I think it's in one of my notes. On the way to Vegas one year for, for the WCC tournament, uh, we cast the entire thing. <laughs> right after Black Panther came out, so we had some good uh, you know, actors that we thought could help play. We need to know. reveal that in the summer. At some point, yeah. Um, Jim Fredette, I think, is a compelling story. Here, here's a, uh, you know, a chubby kid growing up who gets a couple offers from, like, BYU, Utah, and Niagara, and he ends up National Player of the Year. Like, just, 
unbelievable, right? Mike Nascimento, um, just one tackle at BYU ever. We told that one in the fall, but uh, just meant everything to him. was was really compelling. Kairos Tonga was pretty interesting, too. The mm. fact that he is essentially homeless um, and then adopted by this family and his uh, his... His sister or mom said, uh, you know, we don't, li- we don't even put up the pictures of our family prior to Kairos being there because they feel empty. He's got to be in it. Just, there's so many people. They're just like us. They're ju- these athletes and coaches are just like us. They have, in fact, they have, in many cases, a harder, way harder life than I have um, and m- way more conflict that they are either dealing with or have overcome. And so I'm happy that we can tell some of those stories through Deep Blue. We're actually working on the next batch for next fall and winter right now, getting uh, those stories. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to tell this because sports matter. Sports matter. There are those who think sports is just fun and games in the game. No, no, no. Sports is a, sports is a vehicle for, for life. Yeah. Uh, the lessons you learn yourself, but also that you are inspired by. Uh, so that's part of the reason I love sports. Obviously, the games are one thing, but... There's a lot outside the game. That's why we do a daily show, so we can tell the stories of Zach McCorder, uh, the pole vaulter, and the amazing accomplishment that he had, and his funny phrase about what he lacks in his brain. Yes. You know, and just, There's gr- inactive amygdala. Amygdala. I was like, what is that? I think it's in your brain, probably. But so many great stories to be told. If we rewind to the early 70s and even into the 80s, Kreshmir Chosich oh, man. is an unbelievable human interest story. We love well. Kresh, yeah. For everything he meant, not just to BYU basketball, but to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he could have been an NBA superstar, Jerem, and he opted to go back to Europe, his home country, and do work there and, and help implement uh, religion and... Uh, preaching the message of uh, Christ uh, for his home people and translating the Book of Mormon into that language. I mean, just yeah. his story is incredible, too. Yeah. Ah, so many good things. We could spend all hour coming up with all Apparently, these stories. We have to go to break. Details, sorry, but yeah. we do have to yeah. go to break, yeah. yes. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. It is our pleasure now to welcome in Brandon Goebel, who is the CEO of JUCO Advocate, an intriguing guy with an unbelievable job. He joins us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Gideon George went viral for BYU with that Deep Blue segment. Brandon, you have a great relationship with him. We're going to dive into that in just a moment. But first, in your words, tell everyone what it is exactly that you do. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on. Um, Yeah, Juco Advocate uh, is an interesting deal. It it started um, really just kind of out of uh, the effort of helping an individual uh, kid, a guy named Solomon Heine that was in the military and wanted to play college basketball. And, and I had some connections that, that I thought might be able to help. And so we kind of started that way and then it turned into a, a Twitter handle and, and then it has turned into this, I, I'm not even sure what you, what you call it these days, but, um, we do a lot of things. Uh, you know, uh, Nathan LeClaire and I co-own the company, uh, and he runs verb- the verbal commits side of it. Um, and we, uh, we do a lot of nonprofit work domestically and internationally. Um, everything that we do is at no expense to kids. Every camp that we run, every, every 
scouting thing that we do, every connection to school that we do, uh, we'll never take a dollar from a kid. And so we go around the world and, uh, and run camps in foreign countries and help kids get to college, um, help kids get to uh, prep schools and, and, uh, do things uh, in the U.S. here as well, inner city work and and things like that, that to to try and help and get as many kids to college as we can, um, and uh, and and hopefully put them on a path to success. And that's amazing because as we've seen with Gideon George and others, and the game of basketball is global. It, it I mean almost I mean soccer of course and maybe rugby, but basketball is everywhere, which is wild. It, now it's not just Nigeria and necessarily Africa you're doing stuff in, right? It, it, it's uh, obviously uh, Trinidad and Tobago and Tunisia, Nigeria. You guys are worldwide. It feels like uh, we started out. Our very first one that we did internationally was in Tanzania, um, and uh, went to Dar es Salaam, and and um, that really kind of ignited the passion in, in everything that we do. A uh, high school coach in Minnesota named Matt McAllister hit me on Twitter and said, Hey, you, you know, do you want to go to Tanzania? And I didn't know who he was and had never met him. And so obviously <laughs> said, sure. Yeah, let's go to Tanzania. Um, and so the first time I met him was in Dar es Salaam. So I'm, I'm glad he didn't catfish me. And, uh, <laughs> and we showed up and, and ran a camp and a couple hundred kids showed up and, uh, we fortunately were able to help, um, some Congolese war refugees uh, make it to college that are, that are still in junior college now. And then uh, a young man that's at a high school up in Canada right now um, come over and, and, uh, and kind of start his own journey in basketball. And so we said, Hey, let's, let's go do more of these. And uh, so we've kind of, you know, built relationships with friends around the world now that uh, Mario down in Trinidad, Tobago, uh, Harry and Jonathan Colo in Minna, Nigeria, where uh, Gideon is from. Um, we ran a camp in a weary where, you know, the, the one that Gideon came down to. And so we're just kind of geared up to keep heading around the world and new countries and go back to the same ones and just keep running camps and, and keep working to help kids get, get to school. Brandon Goble, CEO of Juco Advocate with us on BYU Sports Station, doing incredible work, to say the least, to help athletes all over the world pursue their dreams of playing sports. Speaking of, what was the inspiration behind your work and getting involved with athletes in these remote areas of the world. He was born in the U S but his father's from Nigeria and, and it, growing up, I traveled a lot because I was an air force brat. And so uh, I got to see the world early on and, and kind of see what was out there. And so meeting Solomon and, and seeing how unique of a story he was um, and how special he was as a person, um, you know, great basketball player, but really it was who he was. Um, and that, I had a skill set that that could help somebody like that achieve the things that they wanted to achieve, and um, that really kind of fired it all off. And I, you know, got to to really know junior college basketball. The NJCAA does a great job of helping tell those stories, helping uh, allow us to help those kids, uh, you know, where they otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity. Um, you know, Gideon would not be playing at BYU were it not for the NJCAA in junior college. So, um, you know, that really kind of helped spur the whole thing along and said, well, you know what, let's go find more cool stories. And he is indeed a cool story. So when did you first meet him and, and what was your first impression of him and how have you seen him grow since? We, uh, we went to, uh, we went to a weary, uh, which is down in the South of Nigeria, uh, flew into Lagos, um, hung out there for a day and then jumped on an, an in-country flight, uh, to a weary, which is an interesting flight and uh and wound up there and and basically you know didn't really know what to expect 
Um, we went to a facility, this kind of outdoor court thing. It's, you know, broken concrete and busted rims. And, you know, we kind of had this pole. We had to keep sticking the one up because every time somebody would dunk on it, the whole thing would collapse. <laughs> and these kids show up um, and his brother, Samson, had reached out to me on Twitter uh, prior to us going over there and said, hey, I'm going to send uh, my brother to the camp from Minna, you know, he'll get on a bus and I don't know, 13 hours or something, Whoa. uh, down there. And, and we're, we're not talking about, you know, roads, right. And this is not, you know, getting on the, the highway to, to a weary, this is a dirt road, uh, through the heart of Nigeria. And so he came and, and showed up and, um, that was when we, we first saw him and, and met him. And, and actually what's funny is, uh, is he is developing his jump shot and, you know, he's starting to make threes and things like that. That was actually one of the first things we noticed about him, just apart from the sheer physical uh, nature of him was that dude could hit a jump shot in the wind <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, which was unique. Um, so, you know, we, uh, we kind of locked into, into him there and really got to know him and, and, you know, kind of find out more about what made him, him, you know, at that, at that moment. Um, and then seeing him grow now is, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's the stuff that we, that we love. That's the stuff that keeps us going. It, you know, that's the juice is seeing a guy like Gideon, uh, grow as a person, grow as a basketball player, uh, grow as a philanthropist, uh, you know, which is, is such an amazing thing for somebody to, um, you know, come from where they come, when, where he comes from, deal with the things he deals with. And rather than when he shows up says, you know, look at this amazing life that I have now, look at all these things I get. The first thing that kid thinks of is, okay, I have resources now to help other people. And that's, that's incredible. Yeah. He is an elite human being. And, uh, having seen that story, the consensus is, how do we be more like Gideon? How do we help people? How do we get in that mindset? So just some fantastic stuff. We don't have enough time probably to address this next question, but give us an idea of some of the hurdles you had to overcome with Gideon to get him to New Mexico Junior College and eventually to BYU. For sure. Um, you know, a lot of people see, especially nowadays, African players in the NBA and, and in college and things like that. And, you know, they, they'll see the stories of, of Taco Fall and, um, you know, Joel Embiid and, and everybody. And they think, okay, that's great. They, you know, they came to America and they, you know, are now successful and, and whatnot. But what people don't see a lot of is, is a lot of the things that go on in the background. Um, we spend a lot of time now uh, doing what we can to help fight human trafficking in basketball. And that, that situation is something that, you know, uh, in a kind of separate way affected Gideon because as they talked about in deep blue, um, you know, he got denied a visa five or six times. Right. And the visa process is unbelievable. Um, especially in a country like Nigeria, there's a lot of bad things that go on. There's a lot of dark corners of basketball and, the the reason for the denials a lot of times has to do with other things that are going on, right? It's a very arbitrary process. And if you're not connected to the right people and you're not doing the right things, a lot of times you can't get one. And so, you know, getting that visa was, was difficult. Um, you know, and, and honestly, it was a lot of luck, uh, for, for him on that one to, to finally be able to get that thing. It's definitely easier when you're going to college. Um, but you know, there's a lot of kids that, that are still, over there, some of the kids from the camp that were still trying to, you know, help get visas and things. Um, and then the cost of that, right. You know, if it weren't for timeout for Africa and Jonathan Colo, um, 
you know, it would, it would not have, have gone as easily for, for Gideon there, uh, because four or $500 a pop for every interview and they're 30 seconds long, you know, and, and you got to go to either Abuja or you got to go to Lagos. Well, you know, that's a long ways, uh, to go to these things and you stand in front of a glass window and somebody makes an arbitrary decision right then and there, whether or not you get that visa. And if they deny you, you don't get your money back. Um, and so, you know, the, the communities over there come together to try and help these kids, especially, uh, you know, Gideon's family and the people in Minna and Harry and Jonathan and, and everybody that helped him out just kind of keep going. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a huge part of his story is just keep going right. One foot in front of the other. And, and that's really been the story of his time at BYU so far as well with not knowing the offense, let's say at the beginning, you know, missing out in the whole summer and regular fall practices because of COVID and all that kind of thing. And it's just one foot in front of the other until he finally gets to, uh, you know, where he is now. And so, you know, there's, there, there's so many things a kid like him has to overcome so many things that have to fall into place perfectly for him to get to where he is now. So his brother Samson ends up going to Pitt and, you know, central Arkansas. So certainly that was a motivation for him of like, Hey, Hopefully this could happen, but those obstacles were certainly there. So what role did Samson play in this uh, with him? And then I guess he has a brother named Miracle who made a, a, a shot to win a game the other day. <laughs> yep, yep. Samson, uh, Samson is fantastic. Samson came over uh, when he was in high school. And so when Gideon had, had come over to New Mexico, he hadn't seen Samson in four or five years. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, Samson had already been over here a long time. And, and I think that played an important part in – um, you know, Gideon's mental makeup as far as just keep going, like just keep trying. And, you know, the, the impact that Samson had on Gideon from afar, uh, you know, can't be, uh, overstated. And so, you know, his ability to, to just kind of keep, you know, sticking with it and, and all that a lot had, had to do with Samson, you know, even when he shows up at New Mexico and, and we would think like, oh, this is great. Like now, uh, you know, this is it, you've made it. Right. Uh, which is not the case. Um, basketball is hard, especially when you haven't played much basketball and uh, being in, in you know, the middle of nowhere at a junior college and just completely fish out of water scenario is difficult, you know, mentally for anybody. And um, and so Samson p- played a huge role in that. And then, yeah, there's there's a little miracle back in uh, in Minna right now. He just turned 11 the other day. And so he's uh, he's he's maybe going to be the next the next George to come over and play college basketball. And and, uh, you know, I told Gideon Miracle's probably going to be better than you. So you better you better pick <laughs> your game up. Um, but, you know, they're they're just it's a wonderful family. It's it's a wonderful set of brothers. It's wonderful people over there. Um, you know, and in my travels, the uh, the people that I meet, uh, you know, that's they're just the most amazing people. I mean, sure. We definitely run into, you know, some bad people just like I do in the United States, but some of the people that we've met on these trips, uh, that are just unreal. He is the CEO of Juco advocate, good friend of Gideon George, and a big reason why Gideon is at BYU, Brandon Goebel with us on BYU sports nation. Brandon, how do people get involved with this organization that Gideon has started? And, uh, also how do people get involved if they want to help you out at Juco Advocate. So uh, Jonathan Colo runs the organization Time Out for Africa. 
Um, they're on Twitter. I think it's timeout for the number four Africa.com um, where they can take donations, whether it be uh, shoes and gear or financially to help them move things over there. What they'll typically do is they'll gather up literally entire shipping containers of shoes and gear and things like that. And then they'll get that over to Nigeria. And during a normal year, um, I think, I think once or twice a year, sometimes twice, uh, Time Out for Africa will actually go to MENA and they'll run a STEM camp, uh, education camp. Jonathan's wife is a teacher. And so they'll go over there and there's a lot of science and technology and math and engineering and all the different things that they do. Uh, and as a you know, side part of that, then they've had this basketball camp and that has started to really kind of, you know, grow and things like that as Samson and Gideon, uh, you know, have had success. Uh, you probably saw in the, uh, the deep blue thing, the picture of the kids holding the shoes and the big poster of Gideon. And, you know, he's, he's a hometown celebrity now. And, uh, um, so, you know, the people can go to, to time out for Africa and, and see what they can do to help there. I know BYU is, is a hundred percent behind Gideon, uh, in his, uh, efforts to collect shoes. And, and I'm sure when fans are back in the arena and stuff, BYU will figure out a way to, to get thousands of pairs of shoes, probably all at once. Um, you know, something that, that BYU is actually you know, just really special at in, in being able to kind of rally the community behind these causes. And, uh, so that's going to be exciting. Um, you know, we're a JUCO advocate. We, we go all over the world and do these things. We, we generally try, try and take a bunch of stuff with us. Um, our friends at the Golden State Warriors donated uh, a whole bunch of stuff last time when we went down to Trinidad, Tobago. I've still got boxes of things in my garage ready to go. Um, you know, you can check us out on Twitter and just kind of follow along as, as hopefully when, when the world opens back up and we hit the road again, see where we're headed next. And, uh, and yeah, we'll go from there. Brandon, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on BYU Sports Nation. We appreciate your efforts, what you've done for Gideon, uh, what you mean to him, and uh, we look forward to watching his career develop in Provo, Utah. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. You got it. Brandon Goble on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. First met Brandon uh, when Gideon was being recruited, and I was like, hey, this is awesome. I don't know the story here, but uh, getting such a good dude. And so just fun for us to be able to tell his story. And his story's still being written. I mean, this is just one of the chapters that we've sort of explored here and uh, excited that more people are knowing about it. And he's such a special dude. And thanks to Brandon and everybody involved in getting him over here because what a great guy. Like, he said stuff that I wish we could say more often, you know, like his faith in God and driving him to pursue his dreams. Just awesome, man. Just awesome. An international superstar that is budding in Provo and not just for what he does on the court, but for everything he wants to do off the court. Think of all those kids that have shoes now. Amazing. That's that's special. And yeah, one day we'll all be able to gather up our shoes together and send them over there as a BYU community. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. It's time to play Yes or Totally, where we decide if we are in or all in on a topic. Like Brought to you by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. I want it to be the real MVP, but that's another. <laughs> okay, we'll work on that. Ben Bagley, what do you have for us? First one, Zach Wilson will be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Yes or totally? Totally! 
he's going to be a top five pick. He will be the highest draft pick in BYU football history after all is said and done because I don't think he's going to drop below four. The hype is too real, Jerem. Too many people are saying great things about Zach Wilson. Totally, he will be a top five pick. We do have nine or ten weeks. A lot can change. But, no, totally. Uh, he's either going to go two to the Jets or four to the five. Yeah, one of those. Two. Or two to somebody else who trades up to the Jets, mm-hmm. right? Maybe the Toronto Argonauts will trade up and get him. Who knows? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't, totally not seeing that Totally not. I know. I know. Number yeah. two. Ty Detmer as Roddy White is totally in on that four pick, by the way. Jamal? <laughs> All right, next one. BYU will climb as high as a seven or eight seed in the NCAA tournament. Yes or totally? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm not totally in on this. I think BYU could be a nine or ten, depending on how things shake out. But again, remember, if BYU's listed as a last year, BYU Lenardi had BYU as a five. That means he said they would have been a six in the actual tournament. I'm a yes on this because historically speaking, when has BYU ever been granted the gracious overseed by the NCAA tournament selection committee? Ever? Maybe in the Jimmer year. I thought, oh, they don't have Brandon Davies. Maybe BYU is going to well, fall to a four. Well, BYU was talked about as a one. They late got a in the three season. seed, which yeah. I was like, oh, it's favorable. I'll take it with no late, Brandon Davies. Late in the season, BYU was in the combo as a one. Yeah. That's that's the uh, the exception for me. Is that I'm a yes on this. I hope, but I I don't feel confident BYU would be a seven seed. And oh, by the way, the resume update presented by Bodyguards, protection for a life worth living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Net stays the same. Ken Palm down one. BPI down two. KPI stays the same. Take the record down three. Sagarin stays the same. So yeah, BYU fluctuating between 22 and 33. That's a great spot to be in. Awesome. If BYU is to be a seven seed, they probably got to have a net inside the top 25. Yes, and Fox College Hoops tweeted out BYU is a 10 seed just a few minutes ago. I'm not opposed to that. Again, I'd rather be a 10, 11, or 12 than I would an 8, 9. You'd rather be an underdog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next. Better second round game, too. BYU Hoops will play three more regular season games. Yes or totally? Totally. <laughs> BYU's going to figure out a way to play the three remaining games on the schedule. And even if one of those goes away, I can see the aggressive scheduling tactics of Mark Pope and company to go get St. Mary's back on the schedule. Or somebody from the Mountain West Conference calling Utah State, Colorado State, Nevada, any of those teams would be great. Especially if you play them on the road. Quad one, quad two games on the road. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I, totally. I think BYU plays at least those three, if not four. That'd be great. Next. BYU will win a Gonzagalus WCC tournament. Yes or totally? I am uh, totally on this. I think BYU goes in and wins that if Gonzaga's not there. Yeah. BYU has beaten the best teams in the West Coast Conference, everybody else essentially. They beat San Francisco on the road, St. Mary's on the road. Uh, lost to Pepperdine on the road, but on a neutral on neutral floor, I like BYU's chances against yeah. the Waves too. So, yeah. When, when there's not a wall 10 feet behind the basket, I love BYU's chances. I'm not. <laughs> Shout out to Firestone Fieldhouse. I guess St. Mary's says that too, and San, San Francisco. I, I'm not. All the way to totally on this, Jerem, because BYU hasn't won a conference tournament championship in 20 years. Well, what BYU does well is when someone's ineligible, they seize the moment. A one. I hope. I hope that's the case. I'm I'm still a yes on this. Yes. Okay, let's keep it moving. BYU football wins seven games next season. Yes or totally? Totally. Are 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 you saying exactly seven games or at least? 
What are you saying? Let's go at least. Okay? At least? At totally, least. Jerem. At l- yes, we discussed this yesterday. I think BYU has enough talent coming back on both sides of the ball, even with losing Zach Wilson and like seven other guys that want to play in the NFL. BYU's got enough talent coming back that they totally will win at least seven games next season. Here's why it's totally and not just yes. It's totally because I trust Aaron Rodgers and Fesitaki that offensively BYU will be good enough. 2017, BYU was not good enough because, uh, you know, they had issues, obviously, offensively with certain personnel and certain play calling and whatnot. So, no, I'm totally. It's different than 2017, although that gives me pause that that could happen, but it's like, I trust this staff a lot. Yeah, and Aaron Roderick's 2-0 and against Boise State when he's calling the plays. Indeed he is. So there's that. Mm-hmm. All, All right, last one. BYU wins a national championship this spring. Yes yeah. or totally? Yes, I want to be totally, but it's just hard to win a national championship. So I am I am yes. I think men's volleyball and or men's cross country and or women's cross country get it done. Now, if, if we're throwing everything in there, Cougarettes, it's totally. Like, that's guaranteed, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like women's that's rugby. The, uh, yeah. 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 The default national championship right. from the Cougarettes. They're awesome. Yeah. If it's just spring sports, I'm with you. Yes, it's hard to do. How good has the Tom Homo era been in the Olympic sports specifically? And yet Amazing. it was until last year that BYU finally got a national championship. Hard to win one. That's why I'm never going to be like national title or bust. Even for men's volleyball this year. It's like, listen, get to the title game and then... Give it a go. I'm not going to be ticked at you not winning. Like, come on. I'm a yes there as as you are. I want it to be national title or bust, but I just don't want to get hurt that bad. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let's get to our prop pick results from last night's Gonzaga-BYU game. And we begin with which BYU Cougar leads the team in scoring in the second half? I said Brandon Abrams. And somehow, I said Gideon George. And I thought Gideon would have more of an impact in the second half with you. I thought that was a solid pick. I thought BYU generally would have a bigger impact in the second half. Yeah. Brandon Aver with nine leads the way. And he yeah. got, like, what, seven of those late, I feel like. like when BYU was making late. the backdoor push to cover. Yeah, and then just pushed. Yeah. How many minutes will Gideon George play? Uh, you said 22. I said 26. He only played 20. So it's no longer closest without going over. It's just closer to the mark. It's just closest because I don't get it. <laughs> you get it now. No, I don't get it now. I know what I know, and I <laughs> don't know that. <laughs> okay. Number three. What will be the largest lead for BYU? You went with six, Jerem. Yeah. I said five. You didn't lead. Well, how do, you, how do you get the point? I don't understand that. Because it was closer to the number. But neither of us... But the, BYU didn't the, have a lead. The number was zero. Five is technically oh. closer to zero than six is. Oh, I'll pick set. Yes, thank you for the explanation. I will. Uh, I will pick one dollar next time. Then <laughs> that Price is Right rules, right? Yeah. That that that's on the table now. Yeah, I lost your guys. All right, so I take the Gonzaga prop picks three nothing, but it's not officially over for the week. Yeah, like probably, the rest of BYU is. Sports Nation, we wait to see if there will be a second game this week. If not, Jeremy will spin the wheel of consequence on Friday. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Before we get to the whip, Jeremy again, spin! I'm, I'm that spinning this wheel too much. Now, of consequence. We've been told we're not going to respin. We're just taking it. All right. It. What's it going to be, Jerem? What is it? Let's see. Bill or Ty? Okay, so you have to speak the rest of the segment in Ty Detmer voice. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Jamal. Jamal. <laughs> Let's go. You have to do the whip and tie it everywhere. So this will be fun. Um, I'm excited to do this uh, <laughs> here at Brigham Young. Let's whip it! Cougar Whip Round presented by Visible Supply Chain Management tackling America's most challenging shipping problems. You have a forever I've, quote I've, here. I've got a lot to read here. Uh, former NFL receiver Roddy White, I played with the Falcons as well, uh, tweeted the following about Zach Wilson. Mel Kuyper, do me a favor. Don't put Zach to the Falcons no more. I don't want no quarterback that can't beat Coastal Carolina on our team. No offense to Zach. This ain't about you. I wish all you the best. People going to say you hating on Zach, but I'm not he a good – I'm not he saying he not a good player. He played good this year, but he isn't a top ten pick based on what I see. He is on – he is average at best athlete, and as you can see in today's NFL, that don't work. It's a trend going on. It's called mobility. He ain't got that. What? Uh, what's your reaction to this? Zach Wilson doesn't have mobility. I'm sorry, did he watch any other game besides Coastal Carolina? Probably not. So that's an unfair assessment based on Coastal Carolina. His numbers weren't terrible, but if he watched Zach play any other game, he would know clearly that Zach is a great athlete that has a ton of athleticism and is everything that... A dual-threat quarterback in the NFL should be. I, I compare him to, like, Russell Wilson. He's a smart runner. He's very athletic. I think he couldn't be more wrong. If we're judging people at their worst, then Roddy White had one catch in five games his junior year. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. I don't that. want him on my team. We shouldn't do that. Roddy was a tremendous player. Yeah. Spencer thinks that's elite. <laughs> All right, Jamal Williams, 91 touches without fumbling away from breaking LaDainian Tomlinson's NFL record of 712 straight touches without <coughs> coughing up the ball. You shouldn't be coughing on that mic in a pandemic. No, I'm, yeah, it's probably true. Not the only one that uses it. <laughs> Is Jamal Williams going to get there and break the record? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, What's his name? Jamal. <laughs> he he coughed it Jamal? up only twice at Brigham in 755 touches. So yeah, this is a thing. I think he's going to get there. <laughs> it's at this. He's so close to it at this point. It's just a matter of what team he's going to be on when he breaks the record. Is anyone tuning in right now? Not understanding what's happening. <laughs> Jeremy and Ty Detmer voice because of the wheel of consequence. BYU Volleyball still number one in the ABCA poll, but falls to second in the media poll <laughs> after splitting with UCLA last week. They deserve to be number one. Yes, because we know that Will Stanley is the man, and when Will Stanley plays, BYU is the clear number one team in the country. Why did they lose to UCLA? Because Will Stanley wasn't playing. He was hurt. Yes, they deserve to be the number one team when they are full power, which they are right now. The first place votes were split in the ABCA. In the media, Hawaii won. I was one of four that voted Brigham, number one still. So, 
I believe BYU should be number one. If BYU and Hawaii play head-to-head, full, full yeah. capacity, BYU's going to win that match. You know who's number one in touchdowns at Brigham and interceptions? This guy. <laughs> the BYU Athletic Department has a bunch of all-in experiences in auction mode right now that you can bid on, including running out the flag at the Utah game. Jerem, which one would you want to do the most? That one. Yeah, I, pro- I wouldn't mind running out the flag against Virginia either based on the Bronco Mendenhall scenario because it includes two tickets. Like, that game's going to be extra compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the streak with Utah, it's and fun. I'm, I'm surprised uh, they didn't have a hunting experience down in Austin. And I'm still waiting for them to post the BYU Sports Nation experience, too. That's an exciting one. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.